0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. We're walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is the effort to rename Taney Street, Bridmar College's old library, or how about the moving of the statue of Frank Rizzo.
1: That's definitely not a name that should be emboldened on our streets.
0: The debate over monuments and signs dedicated to individuals once revered are now viewed
2: as racist, sexist, or immoral. Anybody who treats... Human beings as subhuman should not be memorialized.
3: Tearing down statutes that already exist is a slippery slope. Do they stay or do they go?
0: Wrongfully convicted and now putting his life back together? Piece by piece.
4: I get to go to the back door look up. I ain't got to worry about being locked up.
0: A Philadelphia man's effort to get justice 25 years later. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus this week is the removal of memorials, monuments, and signage dedicated to individuals who, in their time, were revered, but today are viewed as racist, sexist, homophobic, or downright immoral. Recently, there have been dust-ups over whether Bryn Mawr College should rename its library and Great Hall, which are an homage to its second president M. Kerry Thomas, a 19th century suffragist who also was a white supremacist. Or how about the effort to rename Taney Street? Roger B. Taney is the U.S. Supreme Court justice who authored the Dred Scott decision that held black people could never be citizens, even if free. Or how about the continuing controversy over the Frank Rizzo statute? So the question today should the monuments stay or should they go? With me in the studio to discuss this Flashpoint is George Bacchetto. He is the attorney for the Frank L. Rizzo Memorial Committee. We also have George Basil, a senior at Temple University who started a petition to rename Taney Street. And finally, we have Michael Cord, an attorney and activist who penned a recent column titled Schools Stop Removing the Name of Racists from Your Campuses. Gentlemen, welcome to Flashpoint. Michael, I want to start with you. You wrote a column. What is your position? You
2: know, it's interesting because people who know me know me as the angriest black man in America. So I'm sure they're shocked that I would take the position that 99 percent of the cases, we should not change the name. And people say, well, why shouldn't we? The answer is I want to expose the horror, the hypocrisy. I want to let people know what these folks were about, for example. George Washington High School. People say, okay, the first president chopped down a cherry tree, never told a lie. But I'm like, no, we need to know that this man enslaved three hundred and sixteen human beings. We need to know that he held nine illegally here in Philadelphia. So my suggestion is don't change the name of George Washington High School, but in the main entrance, have two or three lines referring to what I just mentioned on the website have it and the office have it to tell the truth because once you remove the name People are still left with the myth of what George Washington was. I want to expose him as the hypocrite, as the racist, and as the fraud he was.
0: Your theory is don't remove, annotate.
2: That's exactly right. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but
1: the truth.
0: George, you started a petition. You wanted to remove.
1: Education is an imperative part of any process like this. Uh, However... I think that, the uh, you know, with regards to Taney Street, we wanted to remove but also educate and empower as well. You know, we, we have suggestions for Monet Davis, Octavius Cato uh, as replacement names who are incredibly honorable individuals. But, you know, we uh, I was just talking with some city council officials who uh, suggested that we also put a one of those blue markers that it emboldens uh, Monet Davis, but also talk about the abhorrent history that Justice Taney put upon uh, Philadelphia. And he actually has a very... And let's just say,
0: speech. for people who don't know, Roger B. Taney was a U.S. Supreme Court justice. Mm-hmm. He was the first Catholic to be appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and he was one of the authors of the Dred Scott decision, and mm-hmm. which people say is a very infamous decision uh, in America. And so you said this, because of that history, He should his name should be... Taken from the street
1: agreed because I, I think a street name is more of a revering aspect than it is uh, you know doing anything to educate people on the uh, you know horrors that uh, Justice Taney brought onto America with you know being one of the core factors of the Civil War and you know uh, the powder cake that started the Civil War with the Dred Scott decision but also the notion that he could say that black Americans were property that's definitely not a name that should be emboldened on our streets
0: and so I want to go on to Georgie here. When we, Frank Rizzo has been a very controversial figure. There are lots of people in Philadelphia that absolutely love him. And there's a lot of people in Philadelphia that look at him and say, he's a racist. He's homophobic. He's this. Uh, the committee paid for this statue. It's outside of the Municipal Services building. What's the position?
3: Look, we're very straightforward in this debate, and that is it's not a good. Idea for governments and politicians to get into the racial debate because our history uh, in this country is so checkered. There are so many uh, instances of contradiction, uh, disagreement, uh, discord. If you start tearing down statutes, there won't be any statutes left in the city. I agree with Michael. What really needs to happen is to shine the light on history and tell it like it is rather than pretending it didn't ever happen and remove every evidence of it. I mean, we're going to have a barren city if we do that. If You go to Washington, uh, are you going to tear down the Jefferson Memorial? Other statues and uh, institutions that have been there, not necessarily to praise, but To memorialize. And the Frank Rizzo uh, statute in the Municipal Services Building I think is ideal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Frank was a tireless, dedicated public servant. Not everybody agrees with what he did. Not everybody agrees with the way in which he was brought up. I understand that. I think those of us that are on the Rizzo Safe Statute Committee Mm
0: -hmm.
3: understand that. But that doesn't mean that you try to erase history. I mean he did some wonderful things for this city. Yeah. So I agree with Michael. I well, think the, the better approach yeah. is for the government to stay out of the debate and let activists, Michael Cord, and all the other activists that are out there – let them bring to light what the true history was. And people can decide for themselves.
2: It's always great when you start out agreeing because we do agree. <laughs> yes. But once we start, I think now we're going to go in opposite directions. My position is... And that let, was
3: one
0: of the ones, Michael Cord, I have to highlight that you said you thought that the, the Rizzo statue should be taken down.
2: Well, actually, my official statements said much more than that. It said that the Frank Rizzo statute should remain... As long as those nine Black Panthers that he strip-searched in 1970 are standing right beside him in the Municipal Services Building concourse area. Tell the truth about Frank Rizzo. Talk about him walking around in a black and white affair with a cummerbund in his waistband. Talk about him being the mayor of a city that in 1979 was the first city to be prosecuted by the Justice Department for police brutality. Talk about him going after the black kids in, jun- in high school, in junior high school in yeah. 1967 and saying, we're going to kick their black asses. I'm saying tell that whole story. I call this my theory of subtraction by addition. Yeah, okay. To take away the myth of these so-called great people by telling you the
3: full
1: story.
0: And Michael, you know, I, I mean this. Yeah, this but is here's, a, here's the response
3: yeah. to that. And I think it's completely consistent with what I have just said and what Michael has just said. I'm not opposed to Michael's suggestion of having a monument for people that have been mistreated or uh, prejudiced or that type of thing. Yeah. Get your committee together, get your artist, get the statute, donate it to the city, and let's find a good, meaningful spot for it. I'm all for that. They have every right, and anybody has any, every right, to put forth who they think are uh, significant, worthy monuments. Yeah, And if Michael's point is that these monuments shouldn't be covered up or eliminated or pretend as if they don't exist. What should really happen is a full airing of all the views. I'm all for it. But you can't start by tearing down statues.
1: It's a bad faith argument to say that governments have no role to play in race discussions because at the end of the day, there are de jure executions that have to happen when it comes to – how we handle, uh, you know, businesses, uh, you know, serving different orientations, different races. Uh, there, there's also the idea that the, the Rizzo statue is being protected by city funds. It's on a city land. Mm-hmm. It's uh, being protected by by the police, uh, which are pa- almost parallel with uh, Mayor Rizzo's policies. Yeah, uh, I mean,
0: there was police presence and, and police yeah. uh, money put up to protect the statue. I no, actually
2: represented the two guys that were accused of defacing the statue. So I know we have an armed camp of police officers around. And before George continues, because I think he makes an excellent point, I like Mayor Kenny, but his decision is was not a reasonable decision and wasn't a well-thought-out decision if it's based on what he said. And he talked decision, about the cause. And you're
0: talking about the decision to, to remove—the to, 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 he, he, yeah. first, the first decision is, yes, we will remove the Rizzo statue, but we won't do it until— 2020 because of $200,000 worth of cost.
2: And whether it's removing it or going the direction I suggested to say that, hey, because of the cost, we can't do anything, that's BS. It's BS because look at all the money they're spending for police protection of that statue. So you have taxpayer dollars already being spent. So don't say we can't afford the 200000 when you're already spending big money to keep it there.
3: Well, of course they're spending money to protect it, just like they're spending money to protect Uh, The Love Statute, just like they're spending money now to redo Dilworth Plaza, just like they spent money to put an ice skating rink on the veranda of City Hall. That's what cities do. When they have property, they have statutes, they have historic buildings, they try to preserve and protect them. I don't think that's what the debate turns on. I think the debate turns on whether we should have, to use Mr. Basil's expression, your de decisions on what's popular and what's not popular, and and what part of history is popular yeah. today, and and twenty years from now, are we going to regret? Change. It yeah. could change but, but, altogether. And I do want to. And I it do. Is wanna, it is what it
2: is. And what when we when we talk about it, it, is what it is. There's no mayor. In the history of Philadelphia, that has the negative, the negativity that Frank Rizzo had, and and I don't just say this as hyperbole. You look at what he did to the black students in 1967. You look at what he did with that blackjack in 1969. You look at what he did with the Black Panther Party in 1970. Yeah, you look at what yeah. he did. I mean, there's a whole litany of things. So and he, ne- have, he, but, he, see, ne-
3: he never he never dropped bombs out of helicopters.
2: I would agree, on the completely. American community.
3: He did, he so so and and let, let, let me say this. Time out. I, time out.
2: I would be yelling and screaming if there were a statue of Mayor Good for the same reasons yeah. that anybody who treats human beings as subhuman should not be that. memorialized. But
0: and and this is an issue, uh, uh, you know, that people have. I mean, in the South, they have a lot of people who were big in the Confederacy mm-hmm. and who many say were traitors of this country, the country that exists now. That's a but fact. At they that were time, traders. at that time, they were considered heroes. And so, and we even, Bryn Mawr College has a woman who was a yes. suffragist. Yes. M. Carrie Thomas, mm-hmm. second president of the college, big into women being educated, had a PhD at a time when women were, yes. couldn't even own property yes. and couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. And, but she was also anti-Semitic. Absolutely. She would not, uh, you know, admit Jewish students, hire Jewish mm-hmm. professors. She would not, um, you know, bring in African-American students and believed in white supremacy. But at the time, she was a hero in the women's movement, mm-hmm. especially for white women. See, I don't think so they, that's a controversial. Uh, yeah, but see, I don't think the litmus the
3: I don't think the litmus test ought to be a hero. I think the litmus test ought to be who has had a significant impact on society? That's what a history lesson is all about.
2: Hitler had a great impact on society. And would anybody and, suggest that we memorialize him? Without exposing him for the genocidal maniac he was
3: the issue of Hitler is you know a very difficult one because of just how manical he was
0: and but how many lost their lives. let yeah. me tell
3: let me tell you something. you go in a history department in most college campuses today and if there's one person that dominates the 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 reading and the history and the lessons and all of that yeah. It's not because we're trying to make a hero out of him or say that he's a but role that, that's model. that's exactly what's being it's done. It's the impact that he had on all the rest of us that yeah. we're trying to learn from.
0: I, I'm going to let, George, I'm gonna let yeah. George jump in here. You're trying yeah. to jump in. Yeah. What no, do you no, want to say? Fine.
1: It's fine. I agree with taking a historical uh, critical lens to these uh, figures. But I don't think that we revere them with statues with yep. streets, with anything mm. like that. And and if we're going to talk about the, the Rizzo administration and we're going to talk about policies that were implemented in that point, uh, you know, those were policies that emboldened brutality and <laughs> emboldened the marginalization yes. of a lot of groups, which it inevitably led to Wilson Good's bombing yes. of Amen. those children. <laughs> children yeah, are well,
3: dead. Yeah, but George, let me tell you something. I knew Frank Rizzo personally. I worked on his campaigns. I worked with him. Closely, I've worked with his family closely. Let me tell you what the most important thing for Frank Rizzo was. So that mom and dad, no matter what neighborhood they were in, could sit on their front porch and watch their kids come home from school and walk down the street with safety. And with dignity. So what do you do? Time out. Time out. It wasn't. Do you unleash
2: the the Gestapo to make sure that anybody suspected of a crime is executed on the spot? So we can't say that, hey, let's praise Frank Rizzo because people were concerned about their safety. This is a country of laws. We've got to protect people's civil rights. You don't just stop crime by abusing people's rights.
3: But, Michael, all I'm saying is that there are lots of different – dimensions to the Frank Rizzo era and the administration and what the problems were at that time. And race was, he, was a was huge he, issue at the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and was he a perfect individual? I don't think so. Was anybody a perfect individual? Hell no. But, but I can tell you this. I can tell in. you this. He had good intentions. He wanted safety for everybody. That was his view of what a government should provide its citizenry, safety. Now, yeah. and I how say he it, went about it, you yeah. may have disagreement and that type of thing, Major but to start tearing down statutes that already exist is a slippery slope. Because if you're going to tear down Frank Rizzo's statute, then I'm going to want a few statutes torn down, too. And we'll wind up with no statutes in the city. And
0: and where is the line, though? Because, I I mean, it could be a slippery slope. But I would say, no,
3: it's not a
2: slippery slope. It's very simple. If you do bad things to people... You don't get memorialized. It's as simple as that. Nobody. But we're, we're
0: editing history now. The memorials exist. That's not editing. Do we strip them down? No, no. Do we strip them down? We are because we're. What you do you do with the
3: Thomas Jefferson you, Memorial do you go in Washington D.C.? And, and
0: where is the line? How many statues do we that, do we go that, and annotate and subtract through annotation in the way you
2: mentioned? That's exactly my point. Once we enlighten people about who these human beings were. Folks are going to be looking at that like, why do we have a statue for a Thomas Jefferson? Why do we have a statue for a George Washington, for a Frank Rizzo? My thing is, once you enlighten the people and let them know who these persons are, then eventually they'll decide to get rid of it, if that's what they decide. But it's not a slippery slope. I want to hear from Georgie who he would suggest in terms and, of the and, statue and be taken so, down. I
0: mean, there are thousands, tens of thousands of people who have signed petitions to save the statue. So this isn't like everybody, like 99 percent of the society say that Frank Rizzo was a racist guy who whose statue shouldn't but exist. There is there are people who, who believe the exact who believe that it should still remain.
2: Sixty five million people voted for Donald Trump. Does that mean that they are right when you look at what he stands for? So for me, and
0: I, I'm not, I don't take a position on this. So, I, I so, take you know, a strong I'm moderating pe- I understand because that. I, 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 I just saying that there are people who disagree with you and, and think that
2: it should stay. They can disagree with me, but they'd be wrong in the process. Because <laughs> everything I just said about Frank Rizzo, from what he did to the students at the school district up into what he did with uh, failing the lie detector test yep. in 1975 to the Black Panther Party, to all that stuff, those are irrefutable yeah. facts. So unless you're going to say to me, Mike, and, and those things didn't happen, I'm, and, I would and, back off. But they happened. I understand that. So where's the
0: line, gentlemen? Where's the line? Because we could have this—we could be renaming— Everything. That's and and there are the many point. people who say maybe people would agree, OK, maybe the Frank Rizzo statue, you know, there's so much controversy about this. But how where's the line? Because we could literally spend millions and millions of taxpayer dollars when we have schools, we have opioids. We got a lot of stuff, as the mayor yeah. mentioned, that we need to deal with. Why? W- what's the line to say? This is important enough where we should put resources to remove, rename or whatever.
1: The, the line exists, at least for me, it exists in taking a critical lens to every historical figure Amen. that we decide. Amen. In. To revere, when it comes to a street, if you're putting their name on a street, you're 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 revering them. They did it with Wilson Good last month. They they put his name on a street, so I'm assuming that they're revering him. They're not putting anything with regards to historical. And why
0: not object then? Why not say I did?
1: For me, it's better late than never. If you should have done it yesterday, that
2: doesn't mean that because it's today, you shouldn't do it now. You do it when you can do it. But,
3: you know, you guys just glossed over a great point. Let's say it costs $250,000 to relocate the Frank Rizzo statute. Wouldn't that $250,000 be a hell of a lot better spent putting computers in the schools or removing the asbestos from kindergarten classrooms in our public schools and that type of thing? We're taking precious resources and we're going to be going back and forth and back and forth on who's right about history and who's wrong about history. Let's use the money productively.
1: That's a logical fallacy. There, there, there's a there's a Philadelphia city budget. This exists for both. Uh, yes. If the statute yes. is yes. is suppo- you know, it was put there by donations and and funds like that. But now it's being protected by city by city officials and by tax dollars. Yes. Then unfortunately, we all yes. these are not mutually exclusive issues. We can put computers into classrooms. We can curb the opioid crisis. Something I I made a a, a point of in my college career to help curb. There are the funds to have they're, both of these issues happen. George, yes. there the are funds. not. I mean, That's a bad faith argument. Time, time, out, a bad time faith out. Faith argument.
3: It's a practical-based argument. No, because not. I can tell you that this school district is virtually bankrupt. They operate at such a deficit, it's not even funny. And, and, to, a, can and start I'm going to wheel you
0: back in because I don't want us to go because the question is – the line. And and because this is flashpoint, we do have to wrap this certainly, up. But certainly. um the issue of renaming or removing monuments to those whose viewpoints and actions would today be considered racist or illegal or at the very least immoral, the question is, is it worth it? And how far should we as a city, as citizens, as institutions go to edit who, at the time, individuals considered to be revered.
2: When the question is posed, where do we draw the line, it's not a difficult answer. The answer is we don't memorialize bad people. I threw out the name Hitler because everybody knows him being a horrible person, but an even better example would be King Leopold. King Leopold did in in Africa, in the Congo, ten times the damage that Hitler did in Germany, as horrific as he was. My question is this. If we had a 1,000 King Leopold statues in Philadelphia or had a 1,000 Hitler statues in Philadelphia, would anybody make the argument that it costs too much to remove them? They'd say, no, these are horrible people. It doesn't matter what the cost is, good riddance to bad rubbish.
1: I think we also need to think about the money that we we save with services Mm. with regards to renaming Taney Street, Justice Taney. The naming of the street did occur the year after the decision, the Dred Scott decision, and Mm. I think that – says something to the perspective that those people were using at that time. We need to analyze how we're revering people and be self-critical so that we can get ourselves on a path to progress.
0: Georgie, last word.
3: Well, I think that it's very important for us all to remember that none of us walked in Thomas Jefferson's shoes. None of us walked in Frank Rizzo's shoes. They were faced with issues and times and circumstances which were unique at the moment They uh, accomplished many, many things. Some may differ as to whether there was some bad, some good. But the point is these were tremendous public servants that are a part of our history. One could be very critical of Christopher Columbus. He's the person that supposedly discovered America. Supposedly. There's a lot of debate as to who discovered America. Are we tearing down the Christopher Columbus statutes? Are we going to rename the Columbus Day Parade? Where does a government get off making those kinds of judgment calls? It's for the people to make. Right. My well, God, I want to say... Jefferson
0: and
2: Columbus. <laughs> I'm about to explode in here.
0: Well, I'm going to say thank you to <laughs> oh, George Baketo. Thank you to Michael Court, And finally, thank you to George basil for coming on flashpoint and this is a great show thank y'all for talking about this issue in the news next up he's been a free man for a year and can't stop smiling
4: smile come with a price people just don't know that 24 years it come with a price
0: wrongfully convicted philadelphia man talks about the burdens exonerees face when trying to rebuild we'll be right back guys. Listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast and feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar It's wrongful conviction. Y'all know I keep doing these stories, but it happens so many times, especially in Pennsylvania. And, uh, well, just imagine if you spent 24 years of your life behind bars for murder, despite credible evidence that you were just someplace else at the time. Well, that's the story of Sean Thomas. He walked out of prison on May 22nd of last year, the now 44-year-old made national headlines thanks to the work of a retired police officer turned lawyer named James vergorsky as well as the Pennsylvania Innocence Project. They fought for years for his freedom. And good thing, Sean never gave up and is now in, li- in litigation, hoping he'll be compensated for the grave injustice that he suffered. I was there last year, got to report on his story. Now he's back. With me in the studio for an update is the one and only Sharon Thomas. Welcome to the KYW Studios. Thank you. Now, it's so funny because I ran into you outside of Dunkin' Donuts recently, and I recognize you because you had the same big smile you had when we did your interview over a year ago. How are things going?
4: Everything going one day at a time, real nice, you know. I don't expect nothing for Lamar. I just live for the day and take everything as it comes.
0: It's been over a year, I think, May 22nd was the day you walked out of prison. What was that day like? The
4: day I'll never forget. Sign a new life. You yeah. walk out, jumped them, down them gates. It was like crazy.
0: I remember during our interview, you said that during your time in prison, you your body might have been locked up, but your mind was always free.
4: Yeah, I stayed in contact with my Lord and... On positive things. I I ain't never think about nothing negative. We are already in a negative place where people think negative is the norm, which is not.
0: You've been living a very positive existence since then.
4: Yes, man. Yeah.
0: Doing <laughs> all sorts of stuff. Give us a laundry list of some of your first experiences since over the past year plus.
4: Oh, first birthday party, paint with a twist. All family and friends around me, that was real nice. I just took a trip to the Dominican Republic for the first time. What was that like? (laughs) That was a mind-blowing. I think that was—that run neck and neck to being free the first time.
0: Yeah, you were on the beach.
4: (laughs) Yeah, Colatine, too. (laughs) Just loving life. Yeah, you know, just enjoying it. You know, every day I get to go to the back door and look up. I ain't got to worry about being locked up,
0: so— do you still wake up some days and wonder, is it a, a dream? No, because when I wake up, I wake up next to somebody. So <laughs> in jail, you
4: don't wake up next to
0: nobody. And so now that you are free, what are you doing with
4: yourself? I've just been taking time to figure. I've been looking, you know, looking for jobs and so forth. It's it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Like after doing all that time, like, they don't do no more applications. You got to go online for stuff. Computers ain't my good thing, but... I got to get familiar with it. I've been looking, trying. You know, I do speak to the youth.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, I spoke up in Danville to the, the Southern Youth Center. You know, that was something I, I would like to do. You know, I f- filled out a couple of not job applications, but I went online to, to look at some to see what I like. I'm just taking my time. I don't want to rush into something and then don't want, don't want to be there.
0: You were 16 years old uh, when you went in, and so— now people have this misconception that when you come out after you did 24 years for something you did not do, that it's easy, like you should just walk right into life. But it was a it was really different, you know, 25 years ago.
4: So much change, like technology, how you go about doing things is different. You just can't, oh, I want this job and get it. No, it's different. A lot of times
0: if you actually committed a crime— you get support. You get like a parole officer. There's reentry programs. Are there any programs for exonerees?
4: Well, I don't get none of that. Being as though I don't have no parole, no nothing. I just came out of jail. It's like a it's like a free person. You just come out of jail. Whatever money you got, whatever you got, that's what they just kick you to streets. Mm-hmm. It ain't nothing for us. Like everything we get, we do on our own. Like my family support me and help me. That's how I get past. How does that feel? It feel weird because after working twenty four years in the penitentiary, to come out to have to fall back to get your family to help you, you know, it's like a helping hand. It don't feel weird because I don't misuse my family, but
0: yeah, and people think that because I know any t- every time I do these exonery stories, people are like, "Well, I know the state is just gonna write him a check because this this can't be," but there's no law that says. That when people are wrongfully convicted, there's no statutory compensation that's automatic.
4: So true. So true about that. Our other states, it might be not in Pennsylvania.
0: hmm So there's a lot of advocacy going on. Are you a part of any of this? Well, you know,
4: I do for for my friends that I know that's still locked up as far as being a spokesman for everybody. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just do what I do by example. I mean, this is a whole new world to you. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Every day I get up is new because it's always a new challenge. One day I might say I want to do this. Next day I might want to do this. Mm-hmm. So you know, I just take a day. I like cooking and stuff, but I don't see me going in the cooking field no time soon. Yeah, My family, loved ones. Yeah, I cook. Other than that, no. Uh, I like landscaping. I like construction. I like all that stuff, but. Just got to wait.
0: Yeah, and kind of see. Because when you were inside, did you think about what you would do when you got out?
4: I thought about it. Me thinking about something. Then when you actually get there, you got to do it. Like now, if you want to make any type of money, you got to have degrees. People just ain't hiring nobody off the street.
0: Have you had any job interviews? And what was the reaction? Did they know your story? Had they heard about you? What do people say?
4: Most people don't know about me because I don't smile too much. But... You know, a lot of stuff is online. Mm -hmm. I got stuff coming on my phone, except the driver. You need your CDL license. All that costs money, and plus it costs time to go to school. Mm -hmm. I don't want to drive something and hurt somebody.
0: So what do you want to see change? around the same time that you were released, three other people were released?
4: I keep up with the news. Something got to change as far as our system. I don't know what Krasner got going on or a new DA office, but I think they're going in the right direction. You know, I can't say that they didn't do their job because if if I said that, I wouldn't be here today.
0: You had a cop-turned-lawyer, James (laughs) Figorski, who was a very adamant, strong advocate for you. He believed your situation. Explain to everybody how in the world you ended up behind bars when you had a clear alibi and you were just totally someplace else.
4: Hey, I'm still trying to figure that one out at the 25, at 24 years. I wouldn't want to say that I did it to myself because I was currently a juvenile. The legal system, I think, failed. Failed this trip. There's nothing to say bad because I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. I'm just the only one that had legal representation and, and I fought hard and kept petitioning the courts. until so I got some help. Yeah, yeah, wonderful person.
0: Because there was evidence uh that you were actually in juvenile court on another matter during mm-hmm. the actual incident and there was a log of of this. Your your mother and your sister were witnesses and none of this information was ever presented to a jury during your trial.
4: It was brought to my attorney um attention. What he did with it, I can't say because I'm not an attorney. Yeah.
0: And so this, this, and then later on, they found a, a police file, a lost file. I mean, this is like a movie, Sharon. <laughs> this is like a movie how, you know, you got railroaded.
4: I just call it miscarriage to justice because the time, I, I ain't going to never get back. I ain't going to never see my grandparents again. So people don't understand that like, I'm free, but the damages as far as my, my grandparents and not being here, not being seeing my daughter grow up and so forth in school, all my nieces, Nephew, that's priceless. Yeah, and your daughter
0: Habiba, how old is she? 25. So she was a baby when you went in.
4: She grown now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Are you able to repair that? It's tough. It's not
4: easy. We ain't on the best terms, but we speak. It's hard some days, I ain't gonna lie. You know, that's 25 years been missing that you got to fill in that gap. She um developed her own personality. I got my own personality. What I think is right She don't think it's right what she think is right. I don't think it's right. So we got to compromise. It's hard. It's hard.
0: To go from having, you know, people tell you what to do and having confines on your what you could do with your life to now having a top blown off and having the sky, the universe be the (laughs) limit. Is that almost I mean, that has to be mind blowing in some ways and paralyzing.
4: You know, some days I sit back and I think, I'll be caught up in my own world sometimes because, you know, reality is reality. I'm here this time last year. The things I did this year I didn't do last year because of where I was at. I'm thankful for that. I just keep a smile on my face, keep doing the right thing to make myself proud and other people that believe in me proud.
0: Do you sometimes feel like you're supposed to be, like this all happened
4: for a reason? Everything happened for a reason. And, you know, it's up to us to execute that reason once we find out. Mine is my smile. Ain't nobody I don't think nobody gonna ever forget my smile on my case. I just hope it don't happen to another person like it did me.
0: Yeah. When you hear that there's anywhere from two to eight percent of cases where the justice system gets it wrong, what does that what's your reaction to that? How does that strike you? It's a
4: hurt piece because look at my case for example, a person that didn't do a crime but I spent so many years of my life inside, just imagine people that don't have the legal counsel like I had or the will to fight. What do they do? They get lost in the system because they're giving up or you can't get back in if you want to meet the three primes.
0: Yeah. And what does, where did your will to fight come from?
4: Yeah, I figure, you know, if I like to win at basketball, you know, everything I do, why not win at this? I'm fighting for my life. So if I lose... Ain't no coming
0: back. Yeah. Just about, I think the numbers are that said that three people are exonerated every week across the country. Three people a week. That'd, that'd be
4: nice because I can't wait till I see you in Philadelphia.
0: I mean, well, you know, it's a lot of <laughs> cities across the country, but, you know, yeah. Philly had a, a burst of them during your time. I mean, literally, I think that year, that, that was like five, four or, four six. or five. Yeah, getting out in, in a six. year. Every time. T- yeah.
4: Me. me. Dennis, Anthony Wright, Gillyard, it's about
0: five. So what do you think the biggest misconception is? Because I feel like in a, in America when someone is found, quote, guilty, people assess them in a certain way and never think that maybe, maybe that was wrong.
4: I think it's, it's, it's the, um, the person. Like if you got a negative mind about something, you ain't going to never find no good in nobody. If you think everybody is guilty. That's like saying, is every cop bad? No, every cop ain't bad. Just like every human ain't bad. People just make bad decisions. I believe drugs could play the part. Anything could play the part for them to make a bad decision. Just like even our parents make bad decisions. Sometimes they drink, do stuff that they shouldn't do.
0: Do you ever wonder if this in in some ways saved you? Because you were in juvenile. during the time of the murder. Do you think that, because I'm always trying to find meaning
4: in something. Well, I, I think back then, did jail save me? Yes, I think it saved me because I just was reckless. Not doing nothing crazy, I just was reckless. Didn't care what I was doing. Disrespectful, stuff like that. So, you know, it gave me a chance, even though I was in the penitentiary, to grow up to be who I am today and to be humble and to appreciate life and people and the value Life more, better. Yeah, it humbled me.
0: Even though it was wrong, and it's like you missed your grandparents. Yeah. Tell me about your grandparents.
4: I seen them every day when I was on the street. My grandma, hey, she, hey I still think about her. You know, that that's, not, that's never going to change. We got a um, cookout for her birthday coming up, the 25th of this month. I'll be there. Like, the whole family get together. So, you know, every family go through it. I just think... By me not being able to touch her or tell her I love her, miss her. You know, that's the part that hurt. How huh? my grandpa. That's the part that hurt. Yeah, that that hurts the most. Yeah. yeah. As you build your
0: next steps, I mean, do you get any assistance to try to deal? Because being in prison is trauma. <laughs> it's trauma. It, it had to be traumatic.
4: I, I agree with you, but, you know, I am dealing with it. It's called life every day, you know. This smile come with a price. People just don't know that. 24 years, it come with a price. Yeah.
0: Well, I just want to wish you luck as you try to piece your life back together. In your mind, what does your best life look like?
4: Being happy. (laughs) And smiling. (laughs) I would like to tell people who still fighting, don't give up. Just keep fighting. One day this could be you.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Sean. Next up, they're all about girl power. Women girls from the inside out. The Philadelphia-based White House champion of change, who's healthy girls rule the world. We'll be right back.
5: Get your high heels on and your little black
0: This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community. Beyonce said it best. Who runs the world? Girls. And Evalore House is a nonprofit putting those words into action. In the Philadelphia region, the organization implements programs that are empowering disadvantaged young girls and women of color to become the leaders of today and tomorrow. And with us in the studio to tell us more about their girl power agenda is founder and executive director Cheryl Wadlington.
5: Thank you for having me. Oh, anytime. This is your 15th year. This is our 15th year. I don't believe it.
0: Time has flown by so fast. Thousands of girls are doing great things. Yes, and let's just rewind it back for folks who have not heard of Evalor House, which they probably should have. But just (laughs) explain, because you founded this organization. Sure to sure. to empower young women.
5: Sure, and to address a lot of the issues that girls of color weren't being able to have addressed in Philadelphia 14 or 15 years ago. So Everlor House is a nonprofit organization that empowers girls between the ages of 13 and 18. Our mission is to make sure they graduate high school on time and attend a four-year college. And so, so far we have a 100% graduation rate both from high school on time and attending college. And many of our girls have gone on to earn it advanced degrees, and they're doing great things.
0: They really are. And so what were you looking around and seeing that said, you know what, we need to intervene?
5: Sure, there was a disparity and a discrimination with black girls. One thing was
0: the school pushout. Also
5: a lot of reports came out about, you know, unfortunately like if you were a darker-skinned girl, you were three times more likely to be suspended from high school than a bias against the dress code right now. Girls of color are being suspended, actually, and expelled from school for certain dress codes, policies that specifically target girls of color. Not to mention all of the emotional and social barriers to success that girls of color have been facing for years. So we said, well, we need to do something about that. Mm. So that's when we decided to contact local city government and then we went on our own and started the Evalor House.
0: Yes. And so girls come in in we the have summer.
5: Two, yes, two programs. One is the personal development program. Mm-hmm. The other one is the youth workforce development program. And that was put in again because the research says that uh, kids in inner city neighborhoods were not getting the same type of jobs or work, period, as their counterparts who may live in the suburbs.
0: Yeah. And so I've actually had the pleasure of... Coming to see some of the girls in action yes. and seeing you and your team in action. Yes, you actually and see- you transform girls.
5: We do. Evalor, the word itself just means evolve in French. Mm. You're constantly growing and changing, you know. And sometimes we say, "Well, if you're not changing, something's wrong." Then you know. One of my favorite phrases is, "We didn't just wake up fabulous. Some mentor or somebody helped us." So that's all I'm doing—is passing the baton on.
0: Yeah. So give me a laundry list of some of the things that the girls learn during the summer. Oh,
5: sure. They learned like today. We were just at uh, the big, large PJM facility, which actually uh, powers all the water and energy and electricity for, I think, this northeast region. So we had a field trip there to help inspire more girls of color to pursue STEM fields. So we had a big long day. They learned how to build a circuits. We also have a lot of self care because we also have found that the emotional issues that girls of color are facing are different. So uh, self care was something new that we implemented this year because we were lucky enough to partner with the Novo Foundation mm. uh, in New York, and that's and that's Warren Buffett's son, Peter Buffett. Uh, that's his organization. So they they learn how to be able to identify when it's time to take time out. You know whether they're stressed from school. I never had stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I just learned, yeah.
5: You know, all research shows that you can get as much education as you can get, but if you don't feel good about who you are on the inside, you will not reach your personal best. So, you know, we're grooming girls from the inside out. But in addition to the STEM, the self-care, financial literacy, the polished professionals, how to show up, which is the big problem, self-discovery, the foundations of success. Mm. So there's just a myriad.
0: I know, of etiquette, too, like just how to present. It, you could be exceptionally intelligent, mm-hmm. but if you can't fit into the culture, a lot of times you feel isolated and you don't succeed because you don't know how to blend and mix and mingle and, and, and become a part of it.
5: Yeah, and you know, that's a, a dynamic that mm. people are kind of, it's shifting. Because what we want our girls to do is to know how to navigate career and life, but also don't lose
0: themselves who you yeah. are. And so you. this has been going on since July 9th. You got yes. a couple more
5: weeks. Yeah, we got events. We got a power lunch coming up. We got the graduation is coming up soon. So... Our girls are ready. We, you, it's some unbelievable things going on. One girl was so shy, and she didn't want to speak. We wanted to make her the class valedictorian. And so today she actually like, spoke these words. Uh, she's uh, of, of another culture, so she can speak to well. she said. I want to speak. I want to speak. And, I mean, we were thrilled because we kept constantly pushing yes. her. And we said, you can do it. You can get out there, and you can speak for girlhood. You can Amen. represent girlhood. You know. And then she was in the car, and when she said those words, the instructor almost
0: cried. I think that's so beautiful. And so how can people support Evalor House? Because I know, you know, it's not free
5: no no even though you offer a lot of stuff for free our programs are free from girls for low income Mm -hmm. families and each program is $25,000 so we constantly need money they we have a donate button on the website you know donate donate provide resources maybe they have good internships or jobs for our college graduates they may even want to serve in the capacity of mentor in terms of coming in to facilitate Mm -hmm. a workshop
0: and so Cheryl I just want to say congratulations to you on 15 years of empowering and uplifting girls. Mm. Check out Evalure House at EvalureHouse.org. That's E V O L U E R House.org. Congratulations.
5: Thank you, Sherry. And thank you so much for having us on to spread the world about girls of color joy and education and empowerment.
0: Beautiful. That's it for the Flashpoint podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Greg. You can subscribe to the show by using the Radio.com app, iTunes, or whatever platform you use to get your pods. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu once said, there's a difference between remembrance of history and reverence of it. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.